Good morning, Woodvale family. I am so glad that you've joined us today for Church Online. And a huge shout out welcome to our many guests who have joined us from across our great city of Ottawa, across the nation of Canada, and even from around the world. Well, we're in a six-part sermon series that we've been calling Rechurch. And we're taking six Sundays to explore the six metaphors of the church found in the New Testament. In message number one, we talked about the church as a family. Message number two, the church as a building. Message number three, the church as a temple. And then message number four, last week we talked about the church as a field. Well, today I wanna take a few moments to explore the great metaphor of the church, the church as a bride. So I want you to get your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter five. And it kind of feels like Paul is talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife until you come to verse number 32, Ephesians chapter five, Paul said, this is a profound mystery. Profound comes from the Greek word mega. It means a great mystery. A mystery means something that is concealed that he's about to reveal. He said, I'm talking about Christ and the church. And so Paul gives us the analogy that Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. So we want to take a few moments today just to share with you about the church as the bride of Christ. Well, I've literally done hundreds of weddings as a pastor, but you've got to get out of your mind a wedding that you see nowadays. I mean, in a wedding, the bride shows up, the groom is there, the bride walks down the aisle, the father of the bride gives her away, and then you've got the, the declaration of intention, the exchanging of vows, and then they're pronounced husband and wife, then they kiss, then they sign, sign the contract or the legal document, and then they walk down the back aisle, and then they have a celebration, then they go on their honeymoon but you've got to get all of that out of your mind. Because way back in first century, they didn't have any kind of wedding ceremony. It was some 200 years later after the death and resurrection of Jesus before any kind of wedding ceremony took place. But I want to share with you today about the ancient three-stage process of an ancient Jewish marriage. See, to better understand the metaphor of the church of the bride of Christ, we need to understand the three stages of a Jewish marriage at the time of Christ. And there were literally three stages. The first stage was the contract. I want to share with you four things about the contract. Number one, it would be an arranged marriage with the signing of a legal binding contract called the ketubah. You see, the father of the bride would care so much about his daughter, he would have her best interests at heart. And he would sit down with the groom-to-be and they would write up this contract. It was a legal binding contract. It was an arranged marriage called the ketubah. And the contract, a copy, was given to the father of the bride and given to the groom. And then another copy was put in the court, the synagogue, with a seal on it that could only be broken by the judge. It was a legal binding contract. But then there's number two. The groom and the father of the bride would negotiate this legal document and they would lay out the conditions in it. There would be the dowry, there would be the bride's price and the bride's estate inventory. The dowry would be the money that the groom would pay the, the father of the bride to marry his daughter. And it often was a lot of money. And we see examples of it. For example, in Genesis 34, verse 11 and verse 12, where, where a guy named Shechem went to Dinah's father and said, how much do I have to pay you to marry your daughter? It was the dowry, the price. And then there would be the bride's price, which was usually about 
50 shekels. And a shekel in that day was about $300 today, so like $15,000. And the bride's price would be written in the contract if the groom wrongfully divorced the bride. He'd have to pay the bride's price of 50 shekels. And then there would be the bride's estate inventory. This would be what the bride brings into the marriage. I mean, the livestock, uh, the money, or any of the assets that the bride would bring into the marriage. But then there's number three. Now that the contract's been signed, they were 100% legally married as a bride and a groom, and it could only be broken by divorce, but they did not live together. They entered what was called the betrothal period, and it would last sometimes up to two years. And during the betrothal period, it's amazing. I mean, that's what happened to Mary and Joseph. They were in that betrothal period. Several things would happen. But in this betrothal period, we're going to learn number four. It was a period of preparation and a period of waiting for both the bride and the groom. You see, what the groom would do, he would go back to his father's house. And he would work hard trying to raise the money for the dowry so he could marry his bride-to-be. And, but he would also add a, an attachment to his father's house. He would add an addition because that's where he would live with his bride. That gives meaning to John chapter 14 when Jesus said, My father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back for you. Doesn't that give meaning to it? Well, what would the bride do? The bride would prepare herself. Every day she would get up waiting for the groom to come. She didn't know when he would come and she's waiting for him to come. And it says in Revelation chapter 19, verse seven, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So number one, the contract. And then there's number two, the consummation. Now, moms and dads, you could explain that word the way you want to the the children in your house. But number two, the consummation. And I want to give you four things. Once the groom had raised the money, the dowry that's been laid out in the contract, he would literally notify the father of his bride. And the father of the bride would set a time for when the wedding would be consummated. Only the father would set the time. The bride didn't know when, and the father would set the time. I wonder if that gives some significance to what we learn in Matthew 24, 36, about the return of Jesus, the day and the hour. We don't know when it's going to be. The angels in heaven don't know. Jesus doesn't know. Not the Son of Man, Jesus, but only the Father. But then there's number two. The groom would often come at night, and he would seize, or he would, he would take his bride at night out of her home, You see, in that day, in that culture, if the bride was a virgin, the wedding would happen on a Wednesday. But if she was a widow, it would happen on a Thursday. But he would come at night and the the groom would come with his groomsmen and he would show up at the house and he would seize his bride from the house. It's like he would steal his bride. I wonder if that gives some significance to what we learn in Matthew 24, that we're to keep watch. Because we don't know the day or the time when he's coming back. And then it goes on to say he'll come like a thief in the night. You see the comparison of the ancient marriage in the Jewish culture to the return of Jesus Christ. But then there's number three. The couple would enter what was called the, the chupa room. Chupa. And in the chupa room, they would consummate the marriage. Well, the companions would wait outside and celebrate The bride had her maidens, the groom had his groomsmen, and 
and the bride and the groom would enter into the chupa room and there the marriage would be consummated. Well, there's some verses found in the Bible and one of them I want to point out is John chapter 3, verse 29. It says the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it's now complete. I never really understood that verse till I studied the ancient Jewish culture of a marriage and the chupa room. They had what was called the virgin cloth. We'll call it the purity cloth, moms and dads. And the virgin cloth would be about two feet by two feet. And the bride's mom would engrave the name of her daughter, the bride, and the name of the groom on it. And in that chupa room, which was often a room in the home of, of, the, of the bride's parents, where, where the marriage was consummated, she would lay on that purity cloth. So that takes me to number four. You see, the groom would then hand the proof of the purity cloth, the virginity cloth, to the witnesses that were chosen by the bride's parents, who then gives it to the bride's father for safekeeping. The groomsmen and the maidens would wait outside, ready to hear the voice of the groom regarding the purity cloth. And the purity cloth would be given to the father of the bride eventually, and the father of the bride would keep it for safekeeping. There's a scripture way back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 22. You can read it. And it talks about the virginity cloth, the purity cloth. And it even tells us that if this guy marries a girl and he goes, I don't like her anymore and starts spreading a bad name about her that she wasn't pure, she wasn't a virgin, that the father of the bride would get the, the proof of the virgin's cloth and take it to the gates of the town where the elders were and say, here's the proof. Here's the proof that my daughter was a virgin. She was pure. And so if the groom had lied, he'd have to pay a hefty price of a hundred shekels. But if there was proof that the bride was not pure, the Bible says in the Old Testament law that she would be taken to the doorway of her father's house. And the men of the town, the elders of the town would come and stone her to death because she had been promiscuous while living under the roof of her father. And they needed to clean the city and, and just bring and purge the evil from among them, the proof of the purity cloth. An amazing story. And then we come to number three. You see, you go from the, the contract, the ketubah, to number two, the consummation which is all about the chupa or the chupa room. Then you come to the celebration. And there's several things I want to share with you. Number one, after the consummation, the entire wedding party, the bride and her maidens and the groom and his groomsmen, they'd light these lamps and they would make their way back to the groom's house and, and they'd have a procession back to the, to the home of the father of the groom and they'd have this huge wedding celebration that would sometimes last a real long time, sometimes days and sometimes even weeks. And we've got examples of it in Matthew chapter 22, where it tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like a man or a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Or John chapter two, where Jesus was at a wedding with his mother. Remember, they ran out of wine. They've got this wedding celebration, this feast that lasted up to two weeks. The second thing I want to share with you is at the conclusion of this, the couple had now completed the ancient ritual of marriage. They were married. 
Well, there's examples of this in the Old Testament of the contract and the consummation and the celebration. Let me give you several examples. If you look at Genesis chapter 24, you would read about Isaac's marriage to Rebekah. And it gives us about the contract and the consummation and the chupa room was actually the tent. The celebration probably took place, but it's not mentioned there. But then when you come to Genesis chapter 29, where Jacob marries Leah and then Rachel, he wanted to marry Rachel. He got tricked and he worked seven years for Laban and uh, for Leah. Then he'd work another seven years for Rachel. The dowry price was huge. And, and you will read there of the contract of the consummation and the celebration. So you see, church, it's really important that we understand the ancient understanding of the, of the marriage ritual in the first century, of the contract, and then of the consummation, and then of the celebration. In fact, I also studied this week that when the groom was coming to the bride's house on that set date for the consummation of the marriage, I learned that they would sound a loud shofar to let them know that they were coming. I find that absolutely significant because when Jesus comes back someday, the Bible says the trumpet of God is going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. The symbolism and the understanding of the ancient Old Testament marriage is so significant. Well, once we understand the marriage customs of the Bible in the first century, we're going to begin to appreciate more the amazing imagery of Jesus as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. So let me just walk through with you several scriptures here. Let's talk about stage one, the contract. I like what Paul said in Ephesians chapter five. I've already highlighted the verse. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. But back up to verse 25, Paul said, husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her. Remind ourselves that in that ancient culture, there would be the dowry. The groom had to pay to the father of the bride a sum of money so that he can marry the father of the bride's daughter, the bride, so he could marry her. He had to pay the dowry and Jesus, the bridegroom of the church, paid the dowry for us when he gave his life up for us. Look at verse 26. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church or a glorious church without stain or without wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You see, my friends, the contract is made when we accept Jesus Christ into our life. We believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and we make him our personal Lord and Savior. But the dowry is paid when Jesus gave his life for us. But just like in that ancient culture, if there wasn't purity in the bride, she would be taken to the entrance of their home and the elders would come and stone her to death because she would be like a, like a harlot. She wouldn't be pure like a virgin. And you and I today have entered this world as sinners. And, but Jesus paid the dowry price when he gave his life for us. And we should be stoned to death, but I'm so glad we're not because Jesus, instead of us being stoned to death, went to a cross 
and died for our sins. And just like the contract would be arranged between the, the father of the bride and, and with the groom and, 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 and a contract would be placed in the court, in the synagogue with a seal on it. There's a contract in heaven and Mark, my name, Mark, I've accepted Jesus Christ in my life as a young boy and my name's on a scroll in heaven and I've got the seal of the Holy Spirit in me. And so number one, the contract Jesus talks about, or Paul talks about husbands loving their wives and how Christ loves the church and how he gave himself for us. But then there's stage number two that we're waiting for. And stage number two is the, is the consummation. And remember the betrothal period? They're, they're married. The contract's been signed but they're waiting for the consummation of the marriage. And it often, it would take a long, long time. And they sometimes would wait for up to two years and the bride every day would get up. Is this the day that the groom is coming for me? And finally, the, the groom and his, and his groomsman would show up and the shofar is sound and the marriage is consummated. We are in this betrothal period and we're waiting for the return of Jesus. But Jesus is gone to heaven and he's preparing a place for us and he's coming back someday for us, but we're waiting and we're making ourselves ready. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse two down to verse four. Paul says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. And the reason why that can happen is because Jesus paid the dowry price when he gave his life for us. And so we're in this betrothal period and we're waiting for the return of Jesus. We're watching and we're ready and we're waiting for Jesus to come back. And then there's stage number three, which is the celebration. And you gotta go way to the book of Revelation, way to the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 19, verse six down to verse nine. It says, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like a loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding banquet, the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And so you see, church, the contract is made when you accept Jesus Christ in your life and the dowry has been paid in full by Jesus when he gave his life. And we're in the betrothal period and we're waiting, waiting for the consummation when Jesus comes back for his church. And I want everybody listening to me today to know that someday Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? if today was the day that Jesus came back for his church. And then the celebration, the wedding supper of the lamb, it's powerful, it's there in the book of Revelation. Well, in these final moments, I wanna take you to one more scripture. And I think this parable is gonna to come to life. It's the parable of the 10 virgins in Matthew chapter 25. Although it doesn't talk specifically about the ancient contract, it does talk about the consummation and it does talk about the celebration. Let me read it to you. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins 
who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. The bride had her bridesmaids and they're waiting with her every day, waiting for the bridegroom to show up and they would go out at night with their lamp lit. Is this the day? First two, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish one took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Sometimes it was up to two years before the, the bridegroom showed up. And in this parable, they got tired of waiting and they got drowsy and they fell asleep. Verse six, at midnight, the cry came out. It's like the shofar was sounded. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Verse seven, that all the virgins woke up and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Verse 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. He said, therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. Church, as I wrap up this brief message today, can I remind you that Jesus is our bridegroom and the church is the bride. Can I remind you today that when you accept Jesus Christ in your life, a contract is made, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Your name is written on a scroll in heaven. And Jesus paid the dowry price when he gave his life for you and for me. But now we're in this betrothal period. We're, we're married. We're united to, to God the Father through Jesus Christ, but we're waiting for the consummation of the church. We're waiting for the day when Jesus comes back for the church. And just like in that ancient culture, the bride would make herself ready. The bride would get up every day. Is this the day? The bride would be watching for the bridegroom to come. The bride would get what she's taking uh, into this marriage together. The bride would be every day expecting for the groom to come. And I ask you, are you watching? Are you waiting? Are you expecting? Jesus to come back because he is coming back. So I want to pray for you today. I trust that this brief message has been an encouragement to you. And after I pray, we're going to worship in a song together. And then I have some very important things to share with you. But let's bow our heads. Father God, I thank you so much for this amazing church called Woodvale. I thank you, Lord, that you gave us the metaphor that the church is the bride of Christ. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are the bridegroom. And just like in that Old Testament culture, when the father would look out for the bride, the father, God, the father is looking out for us. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are the bridegroom and you paid the dowry price, that you gave your life for us. And I thank you that we are betrothed to you and we're waiting for your return. And in this COVID season and in these tough days, it's difficult, but we know someday you're coming back for your church. So God, I pray that the bride would make herself ready. I pray that the church as your bride would be ready 
if today's the day that you come back. I thank you, Lord, for this amazing metaphor in the Bible. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Powerful song. Well, in these final moments, I want to ask you a very important question. If today was the day that Jesus, the bridegroom, comes back for his bride, the church, are you ready? Was there a time, a place, a moment that you personally asked Jesus Christ into your life? Because the way to be ready for the return of Jesus is a personal relation with God through Jesus Christ. I don't want you to think you're going to heaven. I don't want you to hope you're going to heaven. I want every one of you to know that you know that you know that you're ready for heaven. Some 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus to this world. Jesus came for you and me and all of mankind. And as we learned, he paid the dowry price for our sins. He shed his blood on a cross. He died for our sins. They put him in a grave, but he's not dead. On the third day, up from the grave, he arose and Jesus is alive today. He will make a difference in your life, and the way to heaven is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have never asked Jesus Christ into your life, I would have no greater joy today than leading you in a prayer to receive Jesus. Would you join me today as I lead you in this prayer? Dear Jesus, Thank you for dying on a cross for me. I ask you into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. Today I confess you as my Savior and my Lord. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe that there's many of you across the city of Ottawa, across Canada, and even from around the world that you today 
as Jesus Christ into your life, you have made the best decision of your life. And if you don't attend a life-giving, Bible-believing church, we'd be honored if you joined us in the journey. Reach out to us on the platform that this service is presented, and we want to chat to you about our follow class, or you can go online and register for our follow class at woodvale.ca. It's a virtual follow class to help you in your new relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you still have questions, you're still searching and checking out Christianity, go to our church website and register for Alpha. It will help answer your questions. And if Woodvale is your church home, get into a connect group. We have over 65 connect groups across the city of Ottawa and in the outlying regions, many of them are meeting online. It will be a blessing to you. If you need a support group to help you in a challenge you're walking through, go to our church website and register for one of our support groups. And if Woodville is your church family and you want to find a place of serving somehow in church family, we have a serve class coming up in the next week or so. Go online, register for the serve class. We will help you find your place of serving. Well, Evelyn, I love you so much. We thank the Lord that today we can talk about Jesus, the bridegroom, and the church, the bride. May God bless each one of you.